Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today I hope non-millionaires hear this. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And I usually ask the listeners to make sure that the things I say are factual and to fact check me. But today I'm like urging you guys to do this. I really want you guys to make sure that what I'm about to say is sensible and not crazy because it has the potential to be the most outlandish thing I've ever said on this podcast, or it might be the most sensible, insane thing. There's probably no middle ground here. So I want you guys to make sure that you don't just take in what I say, but that you really use your mental capacity to test and feel out how crazy or how sane my my idea is and to jump into it i this isn't really the best way to describe what i'm about to talk about is my theory and my theory is something that i've been pondering and letting roll around in my head for a while i've been chewing on it as food for thought in my spare time but i can't seem to mentally swallow it i'm chewing on it there's something about it that keeping me from fully saying and feeling comfortable saying that, oh, this is a good idea. Have you ever tried eating rice cake? A piece of rice cake, it looks good. So you throw it in your mouth, you start chewing on it. But before you can swallow it, you have to be sure that it's not, hasn't gone bad, that it's not rotten, right? But there's a lingering doubt in your mind because you think you had smelt a hint of staleness or rottenness before you popped it in your mouth, but you don't really know. So that moment of hesitation is kind of where I'm at mentally with this theory of mine. And I keep hesitating because I don't know if I should be sharing this with you guys. It might make me come off as some kind of conspiracy theorist. And this is why I'm actually taking so much time to make sure you guys understand where I am and my doubts and hesitation of even sharing this. Because I do feel like there is a lot of evidence to support my theory, but I'm not 100% sure if I'm interpreting it and applying it correctly. So all that to say... This is really just an idea I'm throwing out there and I completely am open to people shooting my theory down. In fact, that might actually make me feel better so that I can stop thinking about it. And yeah, so with that disclaimer in mind, let's jump into the topic at hand. So in summary, basically my theory is that I think the highest levels of our socioeconomic classes have figured out a way to concentrate wealth and they are implementing it here in America. I'm going to let you sit on that for a little bit to just kind of chew on that idea. It sounds kind of crazy, right? So I understand your initial reaction to it because that's how I feel a little bit even about it now. But I feel like there are a lot of things that support that idea. 
and let me lay those ideas or the supporting evidence out. But before I get into that, this is a secondary disclaimer. Because we are talking about socioeconomic classes, I just feel like I need to be transparent about my own socioeconomic class. I am comfortably in the middle class. I'm not sure if there are actual numbers that like numbered categories or buckets that put you in whatever class, but I just feel like I am in not middle middle class, but not quite upper middle class. If the middle class were numbered from zero to a hundred, where zero is the lowest middle class and a hundred is the highest middle class right before entering higher or upper class. I would say I'm somewhere in 65-ish, the upper part of the middle part of middle class is where I'm at. Not sure why I felt compelled to give that disclaimer, but maybe it'll give you insight into why I think the way I think, but who knows, maybe it was a disclaimer that was necessary. If not, no harm, no foul. It's out there. You can do with it what you will. So back to wealth concentration. I think in a society, if you're trying to con concentrate wealth, there, you need at least two things. You need a workforce that is cheap and affordable. And also you need for that workforce to be consumers who spend abundantly because I think that makes sense mathematically. If the workforce is cheap, then that means the owners of companies can accumulate wealth. And also if the workforce is spending all the money that they earn, then that means the owners of those companies that provide the goods or services that the workforce is buying is also accum accumulating wealth. It's a two-pronged approach. In fact, I watched the segment on Adam Ruins Everything, which is a great show, by the way, where Adam talks about Henry Ford and how he advocated for reduced work hours. I think he advocated for workers getting Saturdays off. And the idea behind that wasn't so that he would increase the happiness of his work workforce, but because he wanted to give them time to go out and buy Ford products. And also to, it, there was a level of productivity increase that happened when that, when the workforce was given certain amounts of time off. But a secondary reason was that it did encourage people to go out and spend money, the consumers to go out and recirculate the wages that they're earning back into the system, the economy. So then let's break down how I think they, and by the way, I'm going to keep saying they and referring to them. I don't really know who they or them are. Just assume that they are the highest economically comfortable people like the Illuminati. Just think about when I say they or them, I'm referring to the Illuminati behind the scenes controlling everything. So I, I believe the way that they keep the workforce affordable and cheap is by the high education prices 
and the high healthcare prices. I think those two things go into how they are effectively keeping the workforce cheap. Because high education prices, college, means that most people, most middle class people, can't comfortably send their kids to college paying upwards of $50,000 a year. Right? So, what do they do? They take out college loans. And these loans are, I think, fact check me on this, but I think those college loans might be the only loans that don't go away when you declare bankruptcy. You can't default on these loans. So, these loans are things that stay with you forever that you have to pay off. And when you have college loan that you have to pay off, you need income. You need a job. And they keep you desperate in this way. So that when there, when you have this lingering college loan above your head all the time, maybe in that desperation, you don't go out and take risks to get higher paying jobs. Maybe you stay satisfied and complacent in a job where you might be getting paid not as much as you could be earning if you were aggressively and actively out there searching for a better working condition. And education is very important to getting an, a good job because I think the standard almost prerequisite for a well-paying job these days is at least a college degree. Some might even argue that a graduate, graduate degree, a master's degree is the new prerequisite. So in the hopes of getting a good enough job to pay for a comfortable lifestyle, I think most of society, it, it might be shifting a little bit these days, but traditionally, I think most of society is in agreement and consensus that college is the easiest, well, not, not easiest, but the most surefire way of attaining a well-paying job. So getting a college degree to a lot of people isn't really an option. It's something that's required. And that's why I think people take out these crazy loans that's going to keep them underwater for such a long time because they feel it's the only way to have a good enough income that will support their life. And also healthcare being so expensive. You Under Obamacare, I believe the cutoff age for getting insurance from your parents' plan is 25. And that's kind of around when people enter the general workforce, I believe. And when you don't have health care, when you're younger, like millennials now, I don't really think know the importance of health care because they're generally healthy, right? But me, when I was a senior in high school, my dad actually suffered a heart attack and he had to get uh, on an ambulance and he was taken to a hospital few days later, I see in the mail the bill or the ambulance ride. It wasn't even that long of a ride. It was, I think, 15 miles, not even 15, maybe 10 miles down the road. It was near $10,000. $10,000 to get from the place where you got hurt to the place that's going to treat you. Like $10,000 wasn't even the amount of money 
for the surgery. I mean, don't even get me started on all the surgeries that he had to have and hospital care, all, all the money involved in that. Thank goodness my parents had health care at the time. If they didn't, I, I don't know. They might still be paying that off. So I understand how crucial health care is because that freaked me out. And ever since I could, I signed up for health care to make sure that I would never be in that position. So the millennials now might not understand this, but I think the older people who have experienced having to go to the hospital and paying out of pocket know that healthcare is crucial. Well, health insurance. I'm sorry, I kept saying healthcare, but health insurance is crucial. So where can you get health insurance affordably these days? If you try to go out of, out of pocket and get your own plan and you have pre-existing conditions, Good luck, because my dad tried doing that when after he declared bankruptcy and he needed insurance it's, it's, it, because, you know, he had a heart attack. So it's very important for him to have health insurance, but it wasn't affordable for him at the time. I'm not going to take a political stance, as I always don't, but I will say that Obamacare and government subsidized health insurance saved my dad's life. I think because well, no incidents have incidences happened after his bankruptcy and after he had to go under Obamacare, but the constant hospital visits that he is required because of his conditions, I believe staved off any sort of future incidences that could have happened. So health insurance is very important is the point I'm trying to make here. And where can you get it affordably? It's through your employer, right? So there's this desperation that's created with the need to pay off college loans and also the need to have health insurance. Having a job accomplishes both those, both those tasks. It gives you an income to pay off your college debt and also it gives you health insurance. And coming from such a desperate place of needing to fulfill those two obligations to being in a place where those obligations are fulfilled, I would argue that people are less likely to go out and want and seek out better opportunities. And so I think that's the reason why salaries have stayed pretty much consistent for the last 30 years, while the overall wealth of the country has grown. I've looked at a couple numbers regarding this, I think it's generally true, and I don't expect a lot of pushback on that. But regardless, someone fact check me on that because I might be wrong. I don't think I am. But yeah, salaries have stayed the same pretty much whilst the wealth of the country has increased. So where is all that wealth going? It must be the concentration of wealth that I'm talking about, right? There must be fewer people getting more money and fewer people controlling the whole pie, as I would say, or as I, sh I will put it. I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but there are few people eating the pie and the rest of us are left with the slimmest of pieces. And in this situation, you would have to think, well, if the workforce is treated so poorly, what incentive do they have to go out and spend their money? Because 
the way that these rich people accumulate wealth is if the consumers keep consuming and spending money that they may or may not have, right? And I think this is going into my second point. The second way that wealth concentration is being facilitated is by chasing a luxurious life that is advertised on social media. Because I'm sure that's the concern that people trying to do this wealth concentration would have. Concern over the fact that because the workforce is getting paid so little, they won't go out and spend money. That they would just try to accumulate what little they have so that they can hope to escape their paycheck to paycheck life, right? But I think social media is making that harder and harder, just psychologically for everyone, because everyone is a star. It used to be that back in the day, I'm not going to pretend like I know what back in the day was like, because I feel like social media has been there the majority of my life. But I assume back in the day, the only way that you could see luxury in everyday life is in documentaries or maybe like behind the scenes videos on TV of stars and athletes and people like this, right? But you just assume, oh, they have a lot of money so they can do that. But when you see your friends going on vacation seemingly all the time, eating good food all the time, buying cool things all the time, then you have to wonder, what am I doing wrong? Maybe it's okay for me to spend all this money. Maybe I should spend all this money posted on social media so that I can convince the world that I too am having the time of my life and that I too am financially well off. And the pressure to show off your life extravagantly like that, I think is the greatest it has ever been in human history. And you can fact check me on that because I don't know for a fact, obviously I am not a trained psychologist, but I have read many news articles and listened to many news segments about trained psychologists talking about how an entire generation of people are driven to depression because we are constantly comparing our seemingly quote-unquote mon mundane lives to the extravagant and luxurious lives that we see on social media of people around us. And I think this is causing our generation, millennials, a lot of people, just anybody plugged into social media, I think people are now spending more to keep up the appearance of an extravagant life and for going saving for the future. I, I heard a statistic not too long ago. I don't know if it's still the case. This might've been like a year ago, maybe less than that. But the, the statistic was that less than 50% of millennials would be okay for longer than a month if they lost their jobs. And I, I remember a different statistic where something crazy like 80% of millennials don't have more than $1,000 in their savings. So th this is just pointing to the fact that either it's not possible for these people to accumulate or save up 
their wealth because bills and things like that, or that they are spending beyond their means. Regardless of what the situation is, it's, I think, apparent that there is a large group of people out there who are not accumulating wealth. And if they are not accumulating wealth, that means someone else is. They are accumulating wealth, the Illuminati, I think. I think this is the way that they designed wealth concentration to happen, and they've implemented it, and I think it's working. So let me just recap the theory in a nutshell. I believe there are people at the top echelons of the socioeconomic elite that are manipulating education costs to be too high, manipulating healthcare costs to be too high, and causing the desperate workforce that are not getting paid as much as they should be to want to spend more money because of social media telling them that their lives need to be more extravagant like the lives that they see in their neighbors and friends, social media posts and feeds. And yeah, that's my theory. The reason I even thought up this theory, the genesis of this idea is because I was looking at the wealth inequality in America and it's staggering. I don't know the exact figure off the top of my head. It's been a while since I saw it. But I remember being shocked. I think it was something like 1% of the American population controls more than 50% of the wealth. And I understand that we live in a capitalist country. And I don't want to come off as sounding like I'm a socialist or something. But it's too disproportionate, I feel. I mean, 1% controlling that much Maybe my number's off, but even if it's 1% controlling 40% of the wealth, I think that's way too disproportioned. And so the way that I thought of and justified, not, not justified, but reasoned why this was happening, that was the birth of my theory. And now I, I will concede if someone were to say to me, I think it's the other way around. I think I don't think that people advocating for wealth concentration cause these things to happen like in education healthcare and social media maybe it's the reverse right it's education costs and healthcare costs and social media is what's causing wealth concentration whatever the case may be i think us non-millionaires need to do something about this so i'm finally addressing the people in the title if you're a non-millionaire, I think we need to think about policies that help redistribute the wealth a little bit. I know that's really a touchy subject right now. I know that a lot of people don't like hearing that because it comes off as socialism and that it, it, a lot of people say that that's a slippery slope to socialism. But I don't think it's too bad to say things like Amazon should be paying taxes because Amazon as a company didn't pay any taxes in 2018. In fact, I think they got money from the government. When Amazon was creating their second headquarters, the amount of money that these cities were 
willing to give to Amazon to come to their city wasn't an insignificant amount of money. It was a lot. I understand that there is a reason why these these cities did this, right? Because Amazon headquarters number two being built in a particular city meant a lot of new jobs and it would help the local economy. But Amazon as a company, I would argue, is doing more to harm the everyday American than to benefit them. I don't know the statistic on this. I don't, someone might want to look it up, but I wonder how many mom and pop shops had to shut down because of Amazon. I wonder how many people working in warehouses lost their jobs because Amazon opted to automating their their storage processes or warehouse product handling processes. So I understand and I know that people definitely don't want to live in a socialist country. Neither do I. But I think there can be consideration for some policies that help redistribute wealth a little bit, at least. I remember watching a segment on last week tonight with John Oliver, and he was talking about lottery and how there are most, I forget if he said most or a lot, but there are a lot of American people who don't have large amounts of money that don't like the estate tax because they have this dream that they might win the lottery. And this is the true this is the same for capital gains tax as well. Everyone has this hope and dream of becoming a million millionaire one day that they vote against policies that tax millionaires now today. Which I kind of get, but I think we also have to be a little bit realistic. We need to look at the trend of history and see how many new millionaires are being birthed today. How likely is it that us everyday Americans will become a millionaire within the next year, within the next five years, within the next 10 years? I mean, it's possible. I don't think if you have that dream, sure, go for it. That's fine. But what I'm advocating for is if we create a country where wealth is concentrated at the tippy top, then there's a lot there's gonna be a lot of people that suffer. And I think we need to think about not just ourselves personally, but the people around us. People I, I I'm actually speaking from a privileged place, I feel like, because I am middle class. What about people in low like the lower classes? There needs to be consideration for them, right? There needs to be a way for them to accumulate wealth in the future. But because of the way that the system is now, people are put into desperate situations and into holes that they can never climb out of. So, yeah, that is, that is my theory. I expect a lot of people will disagree with what I said today, and that's fine. It's just something to think about. I'm not saying that something needs to be done right away, right now, but... I want you guys to think about it and re- really ponder and chew on this whole issue with income or wealth inequality in America and how it might affect 
if trends continue, how it might affect future generations, your kids, your grandkids, and things like that. So that is the episode for today. And if you noticed a lot of pauses and silences in, in today's episode, it, I have a reason for that. I am happy to announce that for the first time ever, I finally got some feedback via email from someone that I don't personally know. And it was really good feedback too. It was from Roland Veith. Sorry, if you're listening I, I, and I mispronounced your name, I'm sorry. But the email that you sent was great. I'm, I thank you so much for that email because he gave me really good constructive feedback in terms of how to better my presentation and my speech on, on the podcast. And I didn't, oh, I kind of knew, but I didn't realize to what extent I was saying things like, uh, like, er, and um. And so I had to go back and listen to a few of my episodes and they, they really are distracting. So I apologize for that guys. And based on this feedback today, I made a concerted effort to reduce or eliminate those words or word whiskers as Roland, uh, See, I did, uh, I did the uh again. I, f- I feel like I was doing so well until now. But yeah, as uh, word whiskers as Roland calls them. And so yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to improve my speech so that these word whiskers aren't so distracting in the podcast so that you can take into content a little better. And man, yeah, thank you so much for for the feedback. This is the type of feedback that I've been looking for. So you guys out there, if, if you have other feedback in terms of how, how I can improve my podcast, then please, please do email me at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com. That's, I hope they hear this, abbreviated, podcast at gmail.com. And before I sign off, in my never-ending quest to promote local artists and things happening locally, I want to promote uh, one of my friend's new songs. See, so many people around me are so musically talented. And to be honest, a few years ago, I didn't really pay attention. But now that I'm diving into their music and really enjoying it and really listening to it, man, it's been great. It's, I realize how much talented friends I have. So this guy's name is uh, Edward Sun. His uh, artist name is Captivated with a K. So K activated. Um, look him up on all major music plat- music platforms. I've been listening on Apple Music, and he has two new songs out. Um, and he's a I don't know if he would classify himself as a Christian rapper, but he's definitely influenced by his uh, Christian faith. So if you're into that, go take a listen. His songs. He has two songs. They're really great. There's That's God. He spells it T-H-A-S-S, God, I think. Or it's T-H-A-S, God. That's the first song. The other song is All Over My Life. So those are, oh, wait, sorry. That's God is the the EP name, the single name. The first song is 2019, parentheses, That's God. And then the, the second song is All Over My Life. But both the songs are great. I'm really enjoying listening to them. Um, so... If, yeah, if you heard, I think it was two episodes ago, three episodes, two, I forget which one, but 
if you are looking for lo local artists to support, here's another one. And also, I want to give a shout out to a podcast I've been listening to. It's called Black Korea by one of my good friends, Andy Shin. Uh, he's actually a rapper too, academics. But I think his music is on a bit of a hi hiatus right now. So in the meantime, in the meanwhile, he's uh, doing a podcast. I, I do have to give you a warning. It is They do use a little bit of explicit language. So if you're not into that, um, that's, that's, the, that's the warning there. But the, the content thus far has been great. It's only two episodes out. I, I only listened to the first one, but they dive into and compare uh, African-American culture to Korean culture and how and the differences there. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, if you're interested in that, I would go listen to, to that podcast. I listened to it on Spotify. I haven't seen it on Google Podcast. I did see a, a post that it's available on Apple Podcast now. I can't confirm because I don't have an iPhone. But yeah, if you have Spotify, you can listen there. So that's my shout outs to local creatives. Um, yeah, um, I keep doing that in this. I think I let my guard down because I'm doing the announcements part of the podcast. So I keep saying it, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to work on that even for, even for this portion of the podcast in the future. So thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, if you have any feedback, content related or just format related or my speech related, whatever it may be, be a cool guy like Roland and send me an email and I would really appreciate that. Um, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, I did the um again. <laughs>